What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show where I see things a little differently. This will actually be the last episode I recorded my little uh, home away from home the last, what, week and a half? Week and change. Um, that's why it still sounds like this, even though it's coming out about three weeks. Um, I decided to record this episode because I watched this interesting documentary. You see, you see it in the title. And I didn't know what to think of it, you know? Um, so before we get into anything, uh, this will have to do with, you know... Rape, and this will have to do with um, some very disturbing things. So, if you have a weak stomach, weak ear, whatever, um, my suggestion is you cut this off and listen to another episode. We have close to 200 episodes in the archives already, so um, this one will probably not be for the faint of heart for what we're talking about. Um, so, anyways, <clears throat> now that that's out of the way, I watched a, a documentary, I watched tons of documentaries. But I was sitting in my friend's house that I was house-sitting, that I am house-sitting currently, <laughs> and um, a friend of mine hit me up and said, hey man, you should watch this documentary. It's disturbing, but it's it's, it's good. It's called We Need to Talk About Cosby. Um, and it was uh, directed by a comedian called Kamal. And I've never heard of this comedian before, and I didn't know exactly what, I mean... This guy's pretty sensitive to hit me up, so I kind of figured it must have been something that was, you know. Um, so, I said, cool, all right. I can't remember which doc. I just finished from watching some documentary, so I, and it was on Showtime, so I had to, and I don't have Showtime, I don't have, I don't have cable. So I said, all right, I'll just get the streaming app and get the first month for free and just, you know, see what they have. First of all, the, 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 some of the documentaries on Showtime streaming services are fire, first of all. Second of all, I'm actually going to watch this a third time because I missed some stuff the first time. That's why I watched it the second time. I'm watching it the third time because I want to understand. So the legacy of Bill Cosby is uh, complicated at best. And one thing I need to say first and one thing I want to say first is I was not a Bill Cosby fan. And I'm not saying that because it's revisionist history. No, actually... Me growing up in the neighborhoods I grew up in, in the ghettos and in, in the poor neighborhoods, inner cities is what they call them, air quotes, I'm doing air quotes, I'm doing air quotes. Um, I remember the first time I ever seen the Cosby show, you see the family dancing in the kitchen. And you see a mom and dad, they're well off. It was definitely the first show where black people didn't worry about money. The money aspect of it was not the struggle of it, if that makes sense. And... Um, yeah, and I couldn't relate to that, <laughs> you know, I was just having the mom and dad there, I couldn't, I have single parent home, you know, broken home, um, I couldn't relate to any of it, and I remember thinking to myself, this ain't real, now for some people it is real, and that's absolutely awesome, I just couldn't relate to it, so I uh, didn't like it, now a different world, oh my gosh, I love a different world, um, I can't remember her name, but she had the curly hair. She was absolutely stunning. That was actually the first crush I ever had was on her and Marissa Tomei. I can't remember her name or her real name. Her last name is Creed. I know that, but she had the curly hair, kind of quirky character. But those were my first two crushes. Different world was 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 lit, as the kids would say. Um, so I was definitely a fan of that, which is a spinoff, you know. Um, but um, I remember vividly, like just couldn't relate to it and the only and I loved how the 
the scene that Kamal chose that defined the Cosby show was a scene where they're all singing to the, the elders and, and and essentially respecting the elders or whatever. That's the only scene I ever saw that I actually liked. It was funny. It was engaging. It was um, just a dope scene. Uh, whoever thought about that, which probably Bill Cosby did, was just a genius, you know. So I would be ignorant and a liar to sit here and be like, Yo, I don't know what he did for a lot of black people, a lot of white people, a lot of people. Like, he made a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah, he might be worth four hundred million or whatever it is he's worth. He made a lot of other people a lot of money. He actually gave a lot of people a lot of opportunity that they would never want to erase. And here's my thing, right? When you find out who someone is, that doesn't erase your history with them. It really doesn't. You could try. That only makes it worse. That just only makes it really, really bad on your part, you know. Um, but anyways, so like they, I think, I thought this was the, was the most fair documentary I've ever seen. I'm not saying it's the first one. I'm just saying when it's, I've seen, I've seen a lot of them, but I haven't seen all of them. But to me, this was one of the most fair documentaries of all time. Like you see, you show every episode, it's four episodes. They're all like close to an hour. Every episode you see what he did. You see him, uh, Doing big things like I didn't know he was a, a action movie. Uh, excuse me, action TV star with the movie with the show I Spy. Didn't know he was a movie star. Like you, you see the praise they heap upon him, but they mix in the reality of things that was going on at the same time he was coming up. I was like, yo, I remember actually. I remember watching the first episode, how conflicted I was. And I was like, because I used to remember also, except because I was not connected to Cosby like everyone else was. When this all thing, when this whole when hell burst, I mean, when twenty fourteen blew this whole thing up with the internet, it was kind of like, hmm, why is everybody mad? Why, why are we surprised? Now, at the same time, in fairness, the dads of America, air quotes again, were kind of being picked off one by one. The guy from Seventh Heaven turned out to be a creep. He was supposed to be on an episode or t- uh, several episodes of uh, Scandal, um, Cosby, and it was one other guy too. Anyways. Um, so it was a lot to take in at once. It was like, boom, boom, boom. It was literally a a three piece in a soda, right? To quote that MMA fighter, um, Masvidal, whatever his name is. And, um, so yeah, I'll I'll give you that. But I remember thinking, it just didn't hit me. It truly, but once again, I, I didn't grow up idolizing, idolizing this person. I just didn't, you know, like, so it's one of those things where it's kind of like, just like, Dang, like, it's, I, mean, I remember saying to my my cousin we were talking about it one time, like, dang, this is sitting different, like, for a lot of people. He was like, yeah, you know, but this documentary, for me, helped me understand those people's struggle. Helped me understand the struggle. Not, not women. If you're raped, I get I Trust me, I, I know more. I, I feel you more than you can understand. That is, of course, I'm talking about the people who are just hurt by saying, man, like, this dude's a creep. Like, I've always been under the impression some of our heroes are pretty bad people. And um, like I said, this documentary does a great job of, of heaping praise and then throwing in this other, these accusations and some of these other things. And it's kind of like, whoa. It's, it's, to me, it's that balance of you, we want you to choose whatever you want to choose, right? But just know that this was going on this time. 
So the first episode really focuses on his early career. He was a stand-up comedian. He was for 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 even though he was pro-black, he was definitely out of the pack. Like and, and that was by design, you know. I can't remember the word they used, but he was definitely like, man, I'm a get my influence and my money first, then I'm going to bring people up. And people don't have patience for that, you know, especially black people. You know, it's always a you sold out. It's a crab in the bucket mentality, all sort of stuff. And this is this, this, this is a hard topic to talk about. So if you don't like it, I, I'm not gonna apologize for it. No, don't listen to it. Um, however, like that's a mentality that some people do have. Like I do believe Jay Z has that mentality. Like, hey, I tried to help my brothers come up. They just they're not they're not on the same wavelength as me. So why not? And I don't think anyone's wrong for that. By the way, like I don't care what anyone says. If I'm trying to bring people up. Or if, even if I'm not trying to bring people up, but I'm trying to get my success and my money and my influence, and I get to be a millionaire, a multimillionaire, a billionaire, and then I start bringing people up, there is no wrong way to do it. There isn't. Like when they show pictures of the Cosby show, like literally, like you see all the black production assistants, the black directors, you've probably seen one or two, maybe three white people. They were the minorities. So anyways, um, so the first episode is really dedicated just to his come up. And you see the I Spy episodes and the different things he branched into while all these other things are happening in the civil rights. And you see Bill Cosby just kind of like living a, a different life, you know. Then you have the first few accusations that, you know, these, some of these women, brave women, stepped up and were like, yo, like, this is what happened to me and blah, blah, blah. And there's a common theme to this story uh, of how he likes to drug him with Spanish Fly. And they end up using Bill Cosby's own words against him, like when he's on Larry King telling Larry King in, in the early 90s about Spanish fly. I've never, I actually, I'm not a drug user. I've never heard, I've heard Quaaludes, but I've never heard of Spanish fly before. And But you hear him talking about Spanish fly, and it's a Spanish fly. Now, and I love what Kamal said. Like, every, you could be, uh, you don't want to be puranistic, or pure, uh, yeah, puranistic. Like, you don't want to sit here and be high, holy and moral, right? Because you can use any wise words against them. Um, and it's one of those things where... Um, how do I put this? It's one of those things where we can use a comedian's words against them for a rib they did or a joke they did, and that's cool. Some things are just jokes. I know the saying of there's some truth in each joke. I, I don't know how true that is. I mean, teach his own, you know? But I was, I didn't, I, and that's the thing I loved. I didn't ever feel like, I mean, they saw, they felt like they, here are warning signs of things that we saw him doing. I feel like we saw that. At the same time, I feel like I had enough, now I might get my because I'm open-minded, but I feel like I had enough time myself to be like, hmm, this is not being forced upon me. Like I, I have my own, I have my right to like you know have my own brain here, and um, yeah, dude, you know, just one of those situations where, um, for me personally, I didn't feel like I was going on one way or the other. I felt like I was always studying this whole thing because I was getting the information from both sides. I was they heap a lot of praise on this man, a lot of praise, and one of the uh, interviewees said, "Hey, yeah, this is why it's so hard for us to believe it because." This is so good. You know, like, this, they're not even hitting the Cosby show yet. Right? The first part is dedicated to the 70s and the 60s, you know, or excuse me, the 60s. Uh, then the second part is dedicated to the 70s. Third part, dedicated to the 80s. 
fourth part decade to the 90s and 2000s and, and to modern day. Um, but I thought the first episode was really excellent in that regard. I learned a lot about him. Um, I learned that this man, and I, I learned that this man was a bigger star. Like he, he was so versatile, so good. He is legitimately one of the greatest actors, comedians of all time. This dude apparently had like six years in a row running where uh, we, 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 we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he had like six, like he recorded albums of comedies, which was a thing, <laughs> believe it or not. And apparently he had some record where like he won a Grammy for that six years in a row. Like, what? It's freaking crazy. And like even his word choice, like the one or two times he might have said the N-word, the one time he might say the A-hole, legitimately was so strategically placed. It reminds me of a I would have to imagine Robin Thicke got his style from him too. Like I remember Robin, Robin Thicke, uh, what's his name? Robin Thicke is his son, the one that passed away. Oh my gosh, Robin Thicke is a singer. His son, his father was the guy on what was that? Family Ties. Um, I can't remember his dad's name, but his last name. But I remember he used to be on the Dan Levitard show. I used to love the Dan Levitard show, right? And I love that a lot of times, for the most part, maybe like 85% of the time, they can get guests to really, really go with their shtick, right? They got Kenny G to be a huge part of their show. Kenny G, just come on, play the fucking instrument that he plays or whatever, and it would just be a good time. And I remember Alan Thicke is his name. And I remember Alan Thicke would come on, and he had this bit he did they set up talking about beavers. And it was so random, but the way he delivered it, he used the entire time talking about a woman's vagina, but he did it in such a PG way that by the time you caught the metaphor, it was just dope. And I remember thinking to myself, I remember watching and being like, this mother bleeper is so freaking good. You know, I remember watching some of his old stuff. I mean, that older generation was so good at being able to be PG and still be nasty. Now, Cosby was never nasty, but I seen elements of how they, they could, he could have influenced him. Anyways. I didn't know anything about that. The first, the first two episodes were enlightening. Episode two, maybe I knew a little bit more about that stuff. But episode one, talking about I Spy and Alexander Scott and talking about um, all the other things he did, just because he, just because he, he didn't have the power he would, he would, he would end up having, but he had connections and he could mingle with, which was very important. He could mingle with white people. You know, they didn't see him as a threat. It's like that T-Pain thing, Rand, he went on about how The weekend is the safe black guy. Bill Cosby was a safe black guy. And you know what? I'm not mad. I remember people got all outraged when T-Pain said it. I was like, why? This is a real thing, though. This is a real thing. Like, why are you guys acting like it's not? Like, you dig what I'm saying? Um, anyways, so that was essentially episode one in a nutshell. Exit. There was it was a formulaic aspect to it. They build them up. They kind of say, "Hey, here's the information. Here's what we think, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, right. So remember that. Episode two, we get into the '70s, and he changes his style to be a teacher, and and that's the and that is the moment because he in the 70s he tried so many different roles he played the devil at one point in time which is seeing him in that was freaking weird he played a bunch of movie roles where he did move some, some movies with Sidney Poitier and none of them hit critically or financially but and they point this out and I thought this was a great point out it was important that none of them hit though 
He branched himself out. He proved he could do whatever he wanted. But if any one of those would have hit, he would have been typecast the rest of his career, which means the Cosby show and what we have now, he wouldn't have had the power he would have had. So he could have been doing whatever he may have been doing. Well, he was doing he was doing something, you know, for all these years and probably never caring because he or, or some or he probably would have been brought down earlier or whatever, right? But it's it's because none of these movies hit, it forced him to then say think about his longevity. And we talk about, when we talk about longevity, you talk about being a teacher and educating and being around kids and stuff like that. And um, there were shows that he was on that I had no clue he was on. Uh, he was on these kids' shows, and I can't even name them right now. But uh, it was just enlightening to see these different things. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, like this dude was one of the most versatile creators of all time. And it was just so... I'm just sitting there like, man, this is crazy right now. How 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 eye-opening this is for me. And so, um, and you do see a lot of white women making accusations. And guess what? You see just as many black women making accusations too. Mop former models. These are women who are still gorgeous to this day. There's just one model who just has, actually it's two of them. They look like they they look like they barely aged. They are so amazingly gorgeous. They, they clearly age, but they are amazingly gorgeous. I can only imagine them being in their prime. And it's one of those things where like this it wasn't just a white woman thing. It was a black woman thing too. So I don't I, I want you to be mindful of that if you decide to watch this and have an open mind. First of all, in order to watch this documentary, you have to have an open mind. You can't sit here and be like, well, you know, um, blah blah blah, sis boom blah. You won't be able to do that. It won't. It just won't work. You have to have an open mind. And so you see as the 70s are coming to an end, his style is changing. And you see his ways of doing things are about to die. He's very successful. But his recording albums of his comedy routines and stuff, that's going to come to an end in the 80s. But you're going to see him even, because he's such a master at his craft, you're going to see him evolve. That's the thing that's amazing to me. For someone who was so instrumental in evolving his career and evolving the people around him, he never evolved what he was doing in his personal life. If he was doing that in his personal life. Let's, for people who want me to keep stay balanced out, stay balanced. But until we, once we get to episode four, though, I ain't going to be balanced. That's just being putting that out there, for me, honest with you. Um. Yeah, for someone who legitimately like had the world at his fingertips, and he didn't have his world. He had opportunities at his fingertips at the end of the seventies. He didn't have the world, and he was still doing supposedly a lot of stuff that he was being called to do. Now, let's move to the eighty, which is the third episode. The world has changed. You have uh, comedians getting d- nasty. You have comedians. You have some of the best comedians. Being the roughest ever in the 80s. You have Richard Pryor. You have Eddie Murphy. All these guys are just now getting prominence. And now they're doing stand-ups. And now they're doing stand-ups. And no one's recording albums anymore of their, of their comedy. you know. Um, and Bill Cosby was still doing that in the early 80s. And he realized that that wasn't working. And what he did was evolve. And he has this comedy, a stand-up comedy... In the eighties, where he looks so, he looks like Bill Cosby, like he looks like Cliff Huxtable. 
That's how he looks. And you can see the age on him. Because he, he, he was a very dashing young man. Very handsome. Like, really handsome. Like, when I saw him, I was like, that was the first time I seen a picture of a young Bill Cosby. And I was like, oh, my God. This dude is handsome. Like, he is a heartthrob. Like, legitimately, Bill Cosby was a fucking heartthrob. And you see him looking completely different from Eddie, every other stand-up. You have Eddie Murphy in the, the leather. You have Richard Pryor, you know, with the afro. You know, like, everything now is Afrocentric now. You see, When they showed, like, the change from the 70s to the 80s, you see a lot of these black women who had this long, lu- luxurious hair, now it's in the afro. You know, you see the change. And with the time, Bill Cosby knew how to change. So he comes out and... And he used one curse word, apparently, on that special he used. And they had a clip of it, and I, I'm going to try to remember it, but this is not word for word. So he's, he said he's having a conversation with a guy who somehow he likes to use cocaine. And he's like, well, what does cocaine do? He's like, it just magnifies who you are. And Bill Cosby said, well, yeah, but what if you're an asshole? Which is a great fucking line, by the way. Questions I still have to this day. Like, you know, why does Sam McGavar still have two TNT titles? But anyways, different story. Um... But yeah, like you see it, and you see funny moments in that. It's like, I remember thinking to myself, like, even, I know a lot of the artists that were on here said, because it was actors too, people who, uh, and it wasn't just black people, it was a white people on here too, that were saying how, how well he evolved. I'm saying, like, God damn, this dude, like, literally, not only set the blueprint, but when people came up and ripped up the blueprint he set, he said, okay, what, what does your blueprint look like? He saw their blueprint and said, cool. I'm going to still do it my fucking way. And he did. And he was, I believe, the first... Uh, that's what he said in here, and I kind of believe it. I wasn't born at this time. Um, but I believe he was the first comedian to use his stand-up to pitch his TV show. Because you got to remember, like, uh, the A. Murphy stuff that he did, A. a. Murphy did and Richard Pryor stuff, I don't think they were... I don't think they ever had set it up to where... They're trying to get their own TV show. They're trying to get their, they're trying to get movies, but not a TV show. Bill Cosby had done the movie thing. He didn't want to do the movies anymore. Remember, from the seventies, he had evolved his style to be a teacher. While these guys were evolving their styles to be movie stars, that's where Beverly Hills Cop one and two come out of it. From you know, from Delirious and all this other stuff. And fun fact too, I've never seen. Delirious ever. I've never seen Stanley Delirious. As a matter of fact, Eddie Murphy actually pokes fun at Bill Cosby, but it wasn't Delirious. It was another another comedy special he had where he said that Bill Cosby called him. And this is funny because so many other actors and comedians have said that Bill Cosby just called him. And he's like, yo, who the f- how, how the believe you get my number, homie? You know what I'm saying? Like straight up, like so many comedians have said this. And they're not, and it's, at this point, it's not a joke, but even Dougie Doug said, yeah, man, how's Bill Cosby getting people's numbers? But that's how it was. It's kind of like, you know who Bill Cosby reminds me of? In a way, it's like Michael Jackson. Game show shared a story about how Michael Jackson like called him. It was like, hey, I really love you in 50 and blah, blah, blah. And like there's stories about that about Michael Jackson too in Prince. How like he would just get your number. Like he knew how to get your number. Your number was not like it, he would bypass your management team to get your number. And um, that and, I, and he said Cosby called him and said you can't be talking about this fling flang flume and he was like man I don't know what you're talking about stop trying to bring me down so then he said he called Richard Pryor and Richard Pryor said oh tell him I said suck my <laughs> and I believe he said that too so many people have been pissed like even D.O. Hughley who had I think he had a Vlad interview or like an interview it was a Vlad interview too but it was definitely an interview um, 
man, it was also another interview with some radio station where he said that, like, when he was coming up, Bill Cosby called him. It was like, yo, you can't be cursing and blah, blah, blah. It's like in the mid-90s, I think. And he said, look here, I might curse, but I don't rape women. Because I guess by that time in the, in, the com- in the comedian community, that's what he was known for. Like, outside of the comedian community, he was just known as a, a, a notorious philanderer. Philanderer. Ugh. <laughs> philanderer. Sorry. And um, and so, like, how, how crazy that is, how in the community he comes from, they know all about this guy. And he has so much power, he's like, I'm just going to leave this dude alone. But, I was, but like, but like it, outside of it, it's like, oh, he just be cheating on his wife. That's interesting to me. Moving on. So he was apparently the first comedian to pitch his TV. Because even like one of his one of the skits they showed, he's literally being he he's clicked he's Cliff Huxtable. That's hard for me to say. And he's he's pitching the Cosby Show right there. And so um, just masterful, like literally, like I said, the best analogy I can think of was the blueprint he set. They took it and said, "We're not doing that shit no more." He said, "Cool, show me yours." I'll still do better than you with it. And so that's, and then that's how you got the Cosby show. That moves us to part three. And part three is probably the most crucial episode because then he gets so much power. Because the thing people don't realize is Cosby started the NBC revolution. When the Cosby show came on at its peak, think about this at its peak, it was 65 million people watching episodes. Those are crazy numbers. And the fact that it was. One third of the American population is fucking crazy, dude. It really is. Anyways, that's nuts, does bananas. That's insanity. That is absolute insanity right there. Anyways, he was doing Super Bowl numbers, my man. So, anyways, <laughs> I keep saying anyways, but I'm just it just was mind blowing. But when he got to NBC. They were third in the rankings. They were a dying brand. So everything we've seen before, or excuse me, after, is a product of the Cosby Show. Friends. Seinfeld. All these shows that became mega hits for NBC and they decided to take a chance on them. They could afford to take a chance on them because of the Cosby Show. So he gets to start Cosby Show and then he just takes off. And he was responsible for every aspect of that show. And he had this one right, right, white writer who was being interviewed. And he said, he told a story about how he knew it was a, a phenomena when this, he's, he's working, he's a writer for the show. He's walking to the studio and he sees this little girl. Hey, Dad, hey, Dad, Cosby's starting, Cosby's starting, we have to go. She grabs her dad's hand, they run into uh, the studio. And then Kamal says, hey, curious, what color was she? She was like, it was, it was, a, it was a little white girl. And I'm like, yeah, just as many white people were affected. Not just as many. Let's not go crazy now. But it was a lot of white people. I don't care. When I, it was millions of white people, too, that saw him in the same way. Like, his, his influence didn't have anybody. Like, I see him when I see him. When I see Cosby. I, I just had this conversation because we're talking about rappers and why rappers should be big. When I say mainstream, you have to hit the white neighborhoods. You have to hit the white homes. In the suburbs, you have to be mainstream, in my opinion. The descent hit that, you know. Jay Z hit that. Nas, to a certain extent, hit that. When you sell over a million records, you're hitting the white neighborhoods. N.W.A. hit that. Like Cosby's love, love, Cosby didn't have boundaries. He literally took over the whole world. 
And so you start then getting these stories from people who worked on set, these young, gorgeous women who were, and let's rewind for a second. He had a, a really close relationship with, you actually get analyzed all of his relationship. I didn't realize how close he was to Hugh Hefner. Crazy. Like he, that, that one of the, one of the survivors, I'm not going to use the word victim, but one of the survivors was a former Playboy bunny. And you talk about the Playboy bunnies and what things they used to do and what they used to wear. And, you know, it's in this, me and God probably just talked about this a few weeks ago about the, the strip club industry. You know, that's kind of what it is still, you know. But, like, you see, you examine all these relationships. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, but you start talking. Now we get into the Cosby show where you have these women who are, you know, apparently there used to be, like, a lot of people who were in the studio audience. You know, then you had this one part roped off. For young models, and and the way one guy put it, I think he was like a production assistant or a director on there. He's like, it's one set of people, uh, so one set of group of women, of models that are dressed to the nines, you know, and like everyone confirmed it. It was like, yeah, yeah, and and it was like Bill Cosby never had his his uh, door closed, you know, his his, his studio door closed until women would go in there. Then all of a sudden, it's like. Well, why do you need to close the door? What kind of mentoring do you can you give them, right? And also, there was this model who talked about how because Cosby did a lot of shows in Vegas because apparently they would film the show on Thursdays, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday he would do his show in Vegas. A lot of things happened in Vegas there, and um, one of the models had said how, and I and I can remember this, which is why a lot of things have changed. Back in the day, the reason why I remember this, I'll tell, tell a quick story in a second. Um, but she said back in the days in, in Vegas, when you did uh, casting calls, you would do them in hotel rooms. Like you would it would be like legit casting calls in hotel rooms. Obviously, in certain, I'm sure things, some things would happen, right? Well, here's my thing about that. I believe that because I remember the first time I ever did uh, had to do a casting call. Someone wanted me to do something with them. And like legitimately, I went to a hotel. And like we're in a hotel room, and this, and this was actually a woman director, and she had all these like headshots on uh, one of the tables or whatever. And legitimately, it was like one of the most weird things. Is I at that time I was very young and naive, and I was like, yo, I thought the hotel room was just for fucking. I didn't know you could actually use them for you know actually sleeping. <laughs> but no, that it was a thing. But then you start hearing from all these other people who there was one model who, in my opinion, had powerful statements. She starts talking about how. People on the Cosby Show had to know. And she said, come on, do not edit this out. People around had to know. Then they bring, bring up this guy named Scotty, this old white guy who was kind of like uh, the whisperer to Bill Cosby. And I was like, yeah, I can see this where this is going right now. And so you start hearing these different accounts. And there's one account from this, this one lady who has this glowing, gorgeous hair. She's a glow to her. She's a bunch of grace. And, I, and actually, it's funny. I remember her from being on TV, um, and I remember her from this, the exact scene they saw, they, they showed, excuse me, and, and I lied earlier when I said it's the only scene I've ever seen. I've seen scenes, but I've never seen like whole episodes of the comedy show, so I still, let, me, let me rephrase that. Um, but I remember vividly, like, I remember her scene in particular, because the joke was she came in early. He was like, what time is she supposed to come in? He's like, 11? He's like, what time is it? 8.30? You're right on time. Like, she had this crazy little look or whatever. And I remember the scene. It was crazy, right? And um, she said that Bill Cosby was, like, giving her shit the entire day, like yelling at her, berating her, blah, blah, blah. 
because she he wanted her to say milk a certain way. He wanted her to say milk like milk, and she wasn't saying that. And so like after the studio audience was applauding, he like looked at her and whispered and said, "Got him again, right?" But she had a situation with him prior. Because, like, apparently she was, like, an extra on the show. Then they had a casting call, like, a year or two later. And so when she got picked for that casting call again to be an extra, she went to Bill Cosby and said, hey, uh, I don't want to be a stand-in. I want to be a regular. You know, he said, cool, come to my place or whatever, blah, blah, blah. She went to his place, got drugs, supposedly. And then she didn't remember anything. And by the time she remembered, like, by the time she realized what happened, she was like, oh, really? So she would bring someone with her every time after that. And same thing with the other mile went to Vegas. After it happened to her, she would bring somebody with her all the time. And every time she brought somebody with her, he didn't have the opportunity to drug her again. Um, and so it's one of those things where, like, she was like, yes, people had to know. You know, and that going back to that one model story where she didn't get raped. But, like, the first day she was on set, she was a six-foot-tall model. And she got, like, she, she just met him in passing, Bill Cosby, through her agent. And the next day, it's like, hey, you've been casted to be on a Cosby show. But she had not, like apply or audition or nothing like that to be on it she just met him in passing and then she was like what that's really strange anyways so she goes on and the first day scotty grabs her by the arm apparently like just grabs her and pulls her away and she said no one stopped him like everyone was just kind of like looking so like, hey hey and everyone was like hey just go so this happens all the time wow one two okay i guess and so the first day she's eating lunch by herself, he never comes in. Doors open. Second day, same thing happens. Doors still open. The third day, the doors close. He finally comes in, and so she like tells him, "Hey, please leave the door open." She's like being super cautious. Hey, I don't want to. He finally says, "Stop, stop!" And he grabs her. And I guess do some type of improv thing, and essentially they're dancing. He says, "That's all we were gonna do is make love. That's all we were gonna do. You can go now." That's weird, man. That's fucking weird, dude. Seriously, that's fucking weird. And so, um, it's one of those situations where it's like, wow, when you hear stories like that, it's like, what's, what's, what's this about? You know, what, what is that about? Is that about just control and showing you I have power? Like, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't want to try to explain it. It's fucking weird. Um, but you see how he gained power. And even when the Cosby show ended, that's all, dude, he saved an entire network. He was in good for life, you know? And then you get into the fourth episode, which is the pound cake. I remember this rant. I remember this rant being vividly. I, remember, I don't remember exactly where I was, but I remember hearing it. And I was like, who the fuck let grandpa out of the old folks home? He was just talking bad about black folks, black men in particular. And I'm pretty sure some older black folks liked it. And we definitely seen some older white folks, conservatives like it. But it was weird, man. And it was just like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Who the fuck are you? Right? You know what I'm saying? So episode four we get into now, modern times. And how he still had so much sway. And he was still doing it in the 90s and the 2000s. And um, this is the part where... It's hard to be objectionable when you literally have his own words that he did it. <laughs> you know, he actually admits to doing it. Now, it was supposed to remain sealed. That's a whole other thing with the legal system. But um, so here's what happened. So let's, let's, let's start. Where do we start? 
So we start with people not believing that these women were sexually abused, sexually raped. And um and so then you hear story after story. But then there was one story in particular with a lawsuit where he settled. And in the lawsuit, the district attorney in Maryland made him a deal. Say, hey, I'm not gonna charge you. I don't give a shit. You're already making a settlement. This will be sealed. No one will ever know but the people in this room and the people that in the, the documentator or whatever, right? And but I need you to say answer these questions. You answer these questions honestly. We said we accept the settlement, it will remain sealed. In the settlement, he says that he was asked, Hey, did you buy quaaludes with the intention of drugging women and having sex with sex with them? He said yes. He said yes. It's now public information now. Because it got unsealed, which it shouldn't have been, which is against the law. It's a whole different story. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. And so he was protected. So his victim that he paid off knew that, hey, I was raped. He raped me. He is a raper. He is that. No matter what you think, you can love the guy, but it's in it's proof. These are his words that he did it, right? So all of a sudden, with the age of social media, Hamill Burst, Burst made a joke. And he made a joke. And I remember when this came, I remember when this went out. Because I remember it was on Facebook of all places. And I remember I didn't have a Facebook at the time. Now, ironically, didn't have a Facebook then. Got rid of my Facebook now. Don't have Facebook at all. But um, he made a joke about Bill Cosby. And it was a grainy. It reminds me of when the click hugged at Madison Square Garden and broke kayfabe. The grainy footage of it made it more real. This made it more real to a lot of people. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Now, also, you got to remember, at the same time, NBC, NBC is in development of doing another Bill Cosby show. And he's still traveling, touring and stuff. Bill Cosby's never stopped being active. You might have just been able to avoid his shit, but he's never stopped being active. So, anyways, um, so, Hamill Burst says the thing he says. And it wasn't even a full joke. It was just him talking. And just blew up. And then the first accuser came out. Then second, third, fourth. And they did a great timeline on this because literally if you look at it, it was within, it, sometimes it was within hours of the other person coming out. It, was like, it wasn't like long layoffs and, oh, I, I was a victim. No, it was legitimately December 12th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 17th, 18th. It just kept building and building and building and building and building. And I remember that because I'm like sitting, I'm like, God dang, I can't me do like you are literally you have a problem, my friend. Like I remember just like just in I, I at the time I barely watched the news. I still barely watch the news. I, I was into the news for a while during COVID, the height of COVID. That's it. Then I got worn out on it. Um, but then I remember thinking to myself like, God dang, dude, like what's the what's going on? And so then you have this guy. He used to he was a regular on the Cosby Show. And he says something. I think he says this in the third episode, though. He says how him, because he was the husband of Lisa Bonet, and they ended up keeping him on because he had a daughter who was played by Raven Simone. But they kept him on, even though Lisa Bonet barely made any. Like, once she went to a different, because her and Cosby couldn't get along. I remember this. And once she went to a different world, she just kind of, whatever. But they kept him on. He said he never had a trailer. Him or Alvin. Never had that's that's the character name. Him or I would never. They used to share a closet together, but the models he would bring on had trailers of their own. Fucking crazy, dude! This dude's a series regular. 
This chick is here for one show. One episode. Just crazy. Just bananas, right? So anyways. Um, then it's accuser after accuser after accuser. They finally arrest this man. Finally. After all these years. Because the statute of limitations was about to run up on one of the on one of the, uh, the cases. Because in most states, you only have four years. Now that's changed. These women have changed a lot of that. Now, now there is no statute of limitation on rape. It's kind of like, I remember when, uh, who was that dude that Denzel Washington played on American Gangster? Um, I was about to say Frankie Lyman, but I was a singer. I know it's, whatever his name was, the, dr- the big drug dealer that was kind of like a, air quotes, groundbreaker for the way he sold drugs and him going to uh, Vietnam to get his stuff and it was pure, it was uncut. I remember when he was doing an interview with someone and someone asked him about a murder. He's like, I don't know nothing about no murder. And the guy's like, no, it's been many years. He said, dude, there's no statute of limitation on murder. He's right. He's absolutely right in that regard. There isn't. So um, now in most states, there's no statute of limitation on rape. Because of these these survivors, um, but episode four is more of just like the down, the official downfall of him. I was going around, he's preaching all these things, talking bad about black men, blah blah blah. I'm not saying everything he said in that that rant that was a rant that wasn't a speech. That rant was wrong. I don't think everything went right at all. If you go around spreading your seed but you can't work, then you have a problem, dude. And that's not just black men. That's a lot of men, <laughs> you know. Um, but. The problem, here's the problem, right? Even though he got locked up, he was found guilty. The prosecutor in this new case, or DA, um, is it DA or pro- it's a prosecutor? Even though the prosecutor in Maryland made this promise to him, that has to be held up. When you do that, that in, in this country, you have to, in America, don't know what country you're listening in, that has to be held up. But when the prosecutor in this other case, so now, F that, we're throwing this out the way because you have too many accusers. He broke the law himself. You cannot break the trust of the seal because that was promised to him. But that's what ended up causing him to be locked up. They weren't. Unfortunately, I truly believe without that information from 2008 or 7, whenever, 2007 I believe it was, that he wasn't going to get locked up. I truly believe that. I, I believe that 110%. He was not going to get convicted without that information being brought, without his own words sinking him, essentially. And the prosecutor kind of just, uh, this, the district attorney and prosecutor are the same fucking thing. What am I talking about? Anyways, <laughs> that was like bothering me, that was bothering me in my head for like the last two minutes. Um, but anyways... But once they threw that out, they can't do it. So it's the right call. Uh, a lawyer said the best. That's the right call for a bad guy. But in, to me, it's undisputable. He did it. And then you have that guy who I was telling you guys about who was a, a regular on the show. Sort of the trailer. He said that one woman who worked on the show regularly, he wouldn't give a name, which good. It's none of my business. Um, said, hey, I guess we were catching up. They were talking. And she said, hey, can I ask you something? I said, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And like she, she started telling him, like, hey, did you ever know that this happened and blah, blah, blah. And he said that he ended up getting her in his car and they started talking and she told him her story. And at the end of her story, she said, do you believe me? He said, yes, I, I do believe you. You know, and he said, look here, he did it to her. If he did it to her, give that to a number of people. He is, to my knowledge, the only person from the, to ever be on the Cosby show 
it's ever spoken about it publicly. I remember Malcolm Jamal Warner, who played Theo, uh, was on Sway in the morning. I remember, I think it was the who was the woman? I'm bad. Clearly, I'm bad with names on the fly. So I need to write notes. The, the woman that's the co-host of the Sway Show, uh, dope ass MC by the way. Um, she actually asked Malcolm some questions, and you could tell Malcolm was feeling awkward and all this other stuff. And he still calls him Mr. Cosby. A lot of these people in this documentary still called him Mr. C or Mr. Cosby or Dr. Cosby. And I was like, yo, think about how mind-blowing that is. To where you have so much respect for this guy. To where you still acknowledge him in that way, even though you know what he did. Some of these women still call him Mr. C. That's crazy to me. That's trauma to me. That's just crazy. Um, but no, there's this, this, this PhD professor, right? Worked at Temple. He told a great Cosby story. He said after the pound cake speech rant, he said he wrote a, a, a dissertation about it and posted it in the newspaper, the Temple newspaper. And Bill Cosby, who's given a lot of money to a lot of those, uh, those colleges, and like he would donate like twenty million to like I think he was it donating like twenty million, million to Temple or something like that. And he was on the board of trustees, and he weighs oh, it's a lot of power, and. Uh, this professor gets a call from his dean. He's like, hey man, uh, Cosby's really upset you wrote that and he wants to know if you're tenured. Now in that world, if if someone's asking if you're tenured, they literally, he had had another great analogy. He said, yo, it's like you walking down the street and someone's like, yo, those kicks are fly. What size are they? They're sizing you up because they're about to try to take your shit. And so he was like, okay, cool. So then um, Bill Cosby starts teaching a class at Temple. Never taught before ever. Um, there's actually questions on like the degree, the, 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 the doctorate he has, no air quotes again. It's questions if he wrote the dissertation because the dissertation was about uh, Fat Albert. There's been thing, there's been things saying now when he got his degree or his doctorate or whatever, he was in the midst of the Cosby Show, and they they, they feel like someone was paid to do the tests or to well, take the classes. Anyways, he says he goes to the class and he goes to talk to Bill Cosby. So he turns around, so he goes to Bill Cosby, he says, hey man, Mr. Cosby, Dr. Cosby, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he starts trying to talk to him and Bill Cosby won't acknowledge him. Like he puts his sunglasses on, like looks the other way. So finally he stops, he looks at the, the kid, the doctor, he says, hey, am I fucking with you? The guy was like, nah, why are you fucking with me? At the same time that it showed, I think, he, I, think, I, think it's, I think the show used to be called On the Record. And I, I, I don't know the host's name. I never actually watched an episode of it, but I, I know this guy. I know the host. I remember the host. And he, and the guy, the guy asked him about the media. He says, look here, I don't like the media because they're jealous. So it's not my fault you're making $700 every week and I'm making $40, $50, 60000000 million a year. I don't want to be fucked with. I want you to mind your business. Like, it, the key terminology, like, like, when you look at, like, 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 how he dealt with shit and then how, like, People said they had the experience how he's still using the verb. He didn't want to be fucked with. Like, why Why are you fucking with me? Which, you know, this guy was just writing just a, 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 a retort to what he said, which some people are like that. Can you imagine Bill Cosby in today's age where everyone's going to write a fucking article about what you're saying? He couldn't handle it. But back then, why are you fucking with me? And so um, you see all these things and back to the whole thing. So essentially, the law was broken on his on on the behalf of the survivors. So that's why he's a free man now. And you literally see the moment that Kamal is thanking everybody for doing interviews and everything like that. And then he gets sent a link, and that's when he realizes that Bill Cosby's out. 
So Kamal has this great line. He says, I don't know what this documentary is now, but it added to it and it added to the name of we have to talk about Cosby because this is a part of his legacy, how he's been able to get through every loophole. But this last one was they broke the law by breaking that seal. That's undisputable, just like his words are undisputable. Although his words were he used quaaludes to rape a woman. Multiple women. But that was under the seal. It's unfortunate that the most broken part of this country ain't the inner city. It's the government. (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately... That's what happened. But I think it adds to the documentary. You can see the frustration, the sadness. But these survivors still, despite the bullshit they're getting, I'm sure they're getting alive. It's more Now that part I can't understand. Because even if I didn't believe it, one, I wouldn't say it should publicly. <laughs> Two, I definitely would not be shaming people. I definitely wouldn't be. That's not cool. Um, it's, it's actually quite concerning that you have enough time in your day to do it. Um, I, I obviously skipped over so much. It's, I mean, it's a four-hour documentary. Go watch the shit. Even if you gotta sign up for the, the streaming service Showtime for just a, it's free for a month, you know. And then you can cancel that shit. Like you, you can sign up for it and then cancel it right after that shit. You dig? Um, but it's, it's, I, I need to watch it again because I, I, I missed certain things. I know I did, like trying to catch certain things. Um, but yeah. Um, frustrating at best concerning, uh, off-putting, but it was uh, eye-opening, it was eye- it was enlightening, you know, so I, I felt like we've never hit something like this on the show before, and I'm not, I have, I'm not making a statement or anything, I'm not trying to say I'm against Kyle, I, 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 if you're against Kyle, be cool, if you're not, that's cool too, um, but I think it's one of the more eye-opening watches if you're looking for entertainment, um, so we're t- just taking a break from the comic book world, because you're going to hear this after you hear the Batman review. That's why it's going to be out in three weeks. Um, so, take it for what it is. Some people may even skip this episode. That's cool, too. Um, but there's a sex therapist. I'll leave you with this thought. There was a sex therapist that was interviewed throughout the entire thing. And she said, America just has a rape problem. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the most concerning thing of it all. I am so chemical. This is I see things a little differently. I'm out.